you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. NFL Explained is a production of the NFL in partnership with iHeartRadio. Questions and answers. Yes, it is one of my favorite episodes to do. Welcome to the NFL Explained podcast. Mike Yam, joined as always by Aditi Kinkabwala. How are you? Great. I forgot to put in my regular high because I was sort of wrapped up in this idea that this is your favorite thing to do. Well, I it, no, it is. When we do our mailbag episodes and people are engaged in our episodes and some of our previous shows have sparked questions and then they fire them off to us on social media at Mike underscore Yam at a Kinkabala. Uh, yeah, I get fired up. It's you know, it's it's like the connection that we have with the audience. So it is one of my favorite things. You know, I have to give a little shout out since we talk about having conversations. I suppose to a young woman named Gabby just yesterday who grew up in Baltimore, is a big Ravens fan, is studying abroad in Venice right now. And she told me that she loves our podcast and that she keeps going back to that field goal episode with Justin Tucker, a game that she was at, the Justin Tucker game that prompted the changing of the height of the uprights. And she said she keeps mentioning it to people. (laughs) And talking about things that she learned in that episode, which really just made me feel so warm and fuzzy. Yeah, it's amazing. And she's probably listening with gelato in one hand, her phone and and the wireless headphones in the other. So Gabby's loving life right now. You got the NFL <laughs> Explain podcast, Stunning Abroad in Venice. What could be better than that? Well... What could be better than that is giving our listeners another grab bag episode. So let's just jump right into it, Mike. Fines. What can players get fined for? Where does that money go? What exactly happens during halftime? What doesn't happen? By the way, I did my best to get on the halftime field this past Super Bowl. Didn't happen. Wasn't so successful. But I did get very, very close to Snoop Dogg. I will say that. And to Dr. Dre. I'll send you pictures later. Anyway, so the importance of turnovers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to get into all of that. The franchise tag. We'll get into that, too. Mike, all of it in this episode. 
All right, so there's a lot to unpack here. So let's sort of get into a couple other things that we can make reference to. And by the way, you just dropped the halftime hanging with Snoop and Dre. You didn't say hanging with. I didn't just, say hanging. I, I just said it's I a better sell. <laughs> so let's just go with that. Uh, but because we do have a recently new crown champion in the Rams, I uh, would love to start with the question of where did the idea of Super Bowl rings actually come from? Well, here's the answer. The first ever championship ring in pro sports, and this is not super super surprising that it comes in baseball. Uh, the New York baseball Giants in 1922 after beating the Yankees in the World Series. The first Super Bowl ring was given to the Packers after defeating the Chiefs in Super Bowl One. It actually featured just one single carat diamond. Which, you know, I mean, now you got like the bling and it's like kind of crazy in the whole. I know you got some bling on your hand, which you're, you're flashing right now. So, well, what's really interesting about this is our colleague, Mike Robinson. I met him at a rookie symposium yeah. years ago and he had his Super Bowl ring. And this was prior to my husband actually proposing to me. And I took a picture of that big fat Super Bowl ring and I sent it to my husband and said, inspiration. <laughs> 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 and while I do have a very nice engagement ring, it is nowhere near what Super Bowl rings are today. No, I mean, they, they are no joke, but at least the one from Super Bowl number one, uh, look, one carat diamond, but the ring itself, usually they're, they're rose or yellow gold. I couldn't tell you the difference between either one of those. They can include diamonds, although to be fair, I don't know if I've ever seen a championship ring at a pro level that hasn't included diamonds. Um, emeralds, rubies, sapphires, oh my, that's a pretty significant list. It'll include, of course, the team, the name, the number, and of course, world champions on it. The collective bargaining agreement actually outlines that a practice squad slash inactive player for a Super Bowl winning team is entitled to a ring. And most teams actually give rings to coaches, administration, surrounding organizational staff as sort of like honorary rings. And I got a really good example for you, Aditi. So one of my best friends is the play-by-play -play voice for the Rams in JB Long. And I had asked him before the Super Bowl, I was like, yo, man, are you going to get a Super Bowl ring if they win? And he said, I think so. So that's just another cool example of really what it could be. And you know what, Mike? Some of those stories are my favorite stories. Go back to 2017 when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. Owner Jeffrey Lurie actually gave John Dorenbos, who'd been their long snapper for 11 years, had been one of the most popular guys in that locker room, but had been traded just before the season. He gave him a ring. He also gave mm -hmm. a ring to a secretary that had been with the team from 1985 until 2014, when then head coach Chip Kelly had fired her. Colts owner Jim Ursay, he gave Edger and James a ring after winning the Super Bowl in 2006. And that was right after Edger and James had left in free agency. And then you talk about giving extra rings or honorary rings or pendants after winning Super Bowl 54. Quiz time. Ooh. How many rings do you think the Chiefs gave out? Players, coaches, staff, ambassadors, cheerleaders. Uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I feel like just knowing in this administration, players, practice squad players, you're probably hovering around 200 just in general, maybe. Try 700. Oof. 700. You're ordering those like right after the game. The euphoria is still there as opposed to, you know, weeks after where maybe that dies down <laughs> just a bit and you, you start thinking about what that's going to go and cost you. Right. Maybe you shouldn't be making that decision right then. Okay. But so we do know who has the most rings in history, correct? Yeah, it's the GOAT. 
Come on, it's Tom Brady. We've all seen that picture, right? Yeah. yeah. I can't believe he retired with three fingers left. You know, and it's interesting because actually about a year and a half ago, I actually hosted a seminar with Charles Haley and Ronnie Lott about mental health awareness. And I didn't realize that Charles Haley, like, you know, I'd sort of, it was getting bios and whatnot. He's actually the second most amount of rings that he has, one hand, five, which is kind of cool when you think about the success he had with the Niners and the Cowboys. By the way, the other thing to kind of throw out there on the expense of some of those rings, and you, you mentioned the Chiefs dropping 700 of them. Now, not all of them are, you know, fully outfitted with like a crazy amount of diamonds, but the last ring that Brady got with the Bucks, 15 carats of diamonds, a total of 319 to signify the 31 to 9 final score. The value around 60K. It's the most expensive ring in league history by a very wide margin. The NFL, by the way, does contribute around five to $7,000 on each ring. That softens that blow a little bit, Aditi. I can tell you this. My engagement ring was not $60,000. But Mike, if you're going to be dropping that one day, well, you know. Lucky lady. Me and you are going to be doing a whole lot of podcasts for me to be able to afford 60K uh, on an engagement (laughs) ring. All right. Well, let's keep talking about money and let's talk about contributions. And hey, we had another great question from one of our listeners at Iron Will on Twitter. And so Will asks us, where does all the money that is collected from the various fines that the NFL hands out go? Well, it's a great question. The first place we should start is how players actually get fined. Now, there are indeed maximum allowable fines that are laid out in the CBA. For instance, if you don't promptly report an injury, the most you can be fined is $2,827. If you throw a football into the stands, the most you can be fined is $2,827. Do you know if you are overweight, Mike, and thank goodness... I am not fine for this. But if you are overweight, how much can you be fined per pound per day? $752. How could it be that much? Well, that's what it is. $752 for a pound per day? TB12, here we go. I mean, I'd be, go ahead and multiply five times 752. Like I'd be out my whole salary right now. Or maybe it would prompt me to get back into shape. Anyway, failure to report to a mandatory off-season minicamp. The first day, you're out nearly $16,000. The second day, you're out $31,961. And the third day, you can be fined $47,936. Now, if you have an unexcused miss on a team transportation... $15,090, which I have a story about that. Once the Steelers Mm. were flying to Oakland, and uh, I think the Raiders were in Oakland at the time. Yes, the Steelers were flying, and Antonio Brown was late. And Mike Tomlin held the plane until Antonio Brown showed up, which means that maybe Antonio Brown owes Mike Tomlin part of that $15,090 that he would have been fined, potentially, for missing the flight, plus the cost of airfare to get across the country. Here's what's crazy. If you lose part of a playbook, (laughs) if you lose part of a playbook or a scouting report, it's the same $15,090. I would think that that would be a much bigger fine, don't you think? Agreed. But I'm having flashbacks to elementary school, like you lose your homework, one of those moments. And then just fast forward, just the significance, like, you know, the teacher now has a talking point with some of their students. You know, in the NFL, you lose your playbook or your scouting report, it costs you 15K. 
Don't lose your homework. Well, it could also cost your team the game, though, depending on whose hands that playbook falls into. Oh, yeah. All right. What about fighting? First offense for fighting, $35,096. A second offense, $70,194. If you have a foreign substance on your body, like it's cold and you put too much Vaseline on your arms to keep them warm and it bleeds onto your uniform and it makes you slippery, well, that could be $5,000 for a first offense. You know, penalties are also subject to fines, Mike. A 15-yard foul like a face mask, a blindside block, a roughing the passer, a horse collar, all of those can get you a fine somewhere in between ten dollars and $20,000. And then, of course, you know, there are uniform inspectors. So on game day, there's as many as 64 uniform inspectors who make sure that everybody's looking clean. You know, the socks must be the right color and they have to be pulled up to the right spot. And gosh, all of that, you have to be proper in what you're doing. Some of the players really are not huge fans of that. And some that I know that were just willing to just kind of pay the fine and just say, screw it, I'm going to do what I want anyway. Um, it, it does total a whole lot of cash, though. It's actually a really good question, Aditi, that Iron Will had sent our way. Because I'm thinking to myself, like, those are large numbers and penalties. Where does the money go? Well, Mike, let's look at 2021. Players were fined a total of 163 times for $7 million, according to Track. And so to go back to Iron Will's original question... All of that money goes to the NFL Foundation, and it's used to assist former players and various programs that help former players. These are programs that are agreed upon by both the NFL and the NFLPA, the union. And obviously, last year was a big year for fines. But in general, the league has been able to give about $4 million a year to these programs. So while that fine for an untucked jersey could be really annoying, at least you know that your money is going to a very good cause. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's definitely, it's a really worthy cause in a big way. All right, a couple more questions to get to here. One regarding turnovers. You know, there's that theme... My God, I feel like it's literally every time I watch a game and it doesn't even have to be an NFL game. Every single sport where turnovers is an issue, you got to win the turnover battle. Uh, Keys to the game. How true is that is the question. Well, it turns out it's actually really true. So there's a reason why everyone seems to say it. Since 2000, teams with a positive turnover margin win games at a rate of 79%. Over that same span since 2000, teams that have a turnover margin of plus one, 68% winning percentage, a plus two, it knocks up to 83%, a plus three turnover margin, 90%. And if you are plus four or better, oh my God, it's like guaranteed victory. 96.6% is that win percentage. So when you consider that teams have about 10 possessions or so a game, it makes a whole lot of sense. Every single play matters in such a big way. And Aditi, as far as success for teams during the season and reaching that Super Bowl, only four Super Bowl winners have ever had a negative turnover margin in the regular season. The 07 Giants, negative nine, 83 Raiders, negative four, Uh, The 2015 Broncos, negative four. The Raiders at negative two. And how about this? The Rams in 2021 coming off that Super Bowl against the Bengals. A little donut there. The Rams somehow won it all this past season with a differential 
of zero. So once again, um, you know, on the flip side, if you're thinking like, well, what about teams with the highest turnover margin? Uh, the Ravens plus 23, arguably the best defense of all time. But DD, I know you got an up close and personal seat for that squad. And 2013, the Legion of Boom, the Seahawks, a plus 20 differential for them. What are you talking about? In 2000? I was just a kid. I wasn't covering the NFL then. <laughs> I'm with you. Gosh, I'm with you. Mike, that was a little rude. It's your truth. We're sticking to it. <laughs> Moving right along, if your team is struggling, like Mike Yam appears to be struggling right now, whether it's turnovers or, you know, schematically, it's important to get into the locker room at halftime, right? So a question that we've had a few times from a few different people is, what exactly happens at halftime? All right, so in a regular game, NFL halftime is only 13 minutes for the players. And that's shorter than all other levels of football. It's time by the back judge and teams are not required to go back to the locker room, but it certainly makes sense. And especially considering that poor Evan McPherson, the rookie kicker for the Bengals, who decided to hang out with long snapper Clark Harris and watch the Dre Snoop halftime show this year at the Super Bowl. Um, we get that it's probably safer to just get out of sight. Although... I should mention that the Super Bowl halftime is indeed longer than a regular season game halftime. In any case, what happens at halftime varies based on the team. So now you've certainly had coaches who say that, you know, there's just not enough time to get into any sort of really detailed chalk talk. Uh, Sean Payton once talked about this, that halftime is really only about seven and a half minutes by the time you all run off the field, get in the locker room, get a drink, eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which remember when we did our episode on eating, if you eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich at halftime, you should eat it on white bread, not wheat bread, because you don't want too much fiber as you go out in the second half. Go back and check out that episode. Lots of interesting nuggets on eating. But anyway, by the time you get something to drink, by the time you eat something, you go to the bathroom, the coaches talks amongst themselves there's really just not that much time to get into any sort of deep dive on anything. And so Sean Payton, going back, the former Saints coach, said, maybe you can talk about a couple important things, but really probably not. And Matt Burke, who was a center for a long time with the Vikings and also played with the Ravens too, right? Didn't he play with the Ravens too? Yes. Okay. Well, he was a Viking center for a very long time, Harvard man. He said the same exact thing that like, you know, the coaches have a meeting, they come out and they very quickly say to players, okay, guys, here's what we like. It's not like it's super specific that these are the three plays that are going to win the game and you're gone. There you go. And another thing, they'll insist that like that whole glorified in the movies and TV, that impassioned halftime speech that changes everything, that that doesn't really happen. And another one of our former colleagues, Brian Billick, who, of course, won that 2000 Ravens Super Bowl when I was, you know, just a small child in elementary school. Brian Billick said, in all my years in the NFL, I can't think of a single let's go win one for the Gipper halftime speech. Kind of disappointing. But now I will say this, in my experience this past season, as you know, Mike, I spent so much time with the Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. And the one thing about the Bengals this year is that they were tremendous, especially on defense, in making adjustments. And I'm thinking of two games against the Kansas City Chiefs, one in December and then one again 
in the AFC title game. And after the Chiefs kind of ran all over and ran up the score on the Bengals in the first half, the Bengals both times came out and essentially shut down the Chiefs in the second half. And that was indeed because of some adjustments that were made at halftime and on the fly. But I will say this, this was possible because it was a very, very smart and heady and overly communicative defense. I would not say that that's the norm. Yeah. I'm disappointed that the the fired up rah rah halftime is also not the norm, uh, especially because of all the movies that we've seen and you know the inspiration where they throw the cool music bed under the under the the voice Who'd of the get coach. Who get you riled up, Mike? Yeah. Who would be one head coach that you're just like, okay, this guy could talk, and I'd run through a wall for him. Oh. You know, it's that's actually a great question. Let me just rack my brain. There's one coach in particular who I've always thought very highly of, both on the pro side and the college side, but it's been so long since he's coached in the NFL. But when I was still in college at the time, he was the head coach of the Jets, and now he's at Arizona State. And then I got to work with Herm Edwards at ESPN. Herm's one of those, like, I think it depends on how you talk to people. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not the person who needs like the rah-rah, like get in your face and everyone's screaming. That's not how I roll. I'm more of like the the easy, like, can you inspire me with your words? And that would be enough for me. You've been around a ton of coaches. You must have one in mind that you would run through a wall for. I'd like to play for John Harbaugh. Okay. Yeah, that's a good one. But that's a whole other episode. So we could get into that one another time. Okay. Well, look, that'll be my question that I'll tweet you for our next mailbag episode, but there's more. Yeah, there's more (laughs) questions that people are firing off to us, uh, including one that we actually just got recently, as in like morning of our record about the franchise tag. What exactly is it and how does it work? Not to mention, we're going to find out about the shape and the materials that has changed throughout the years with regard to the actual football and also what's officially the biggest upset in league history. All of that still become on the NFL Explained podcast. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A dot com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. 
So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Welcome back to the NFL Explained podcast. Mike Yammon and Didi Kinkawalo with you. We are continuing to steamroll our mailbag episode. We love getting the questions throughout the course of the season. You can find us on social media at Mike underscore Yam at a Kinkawala. Aditi, let's get right back to this. Uh, 2021, an incredible year for football for so many different reasons. Probably the most exciting playoffs of all time. And there was a lot of parity. The road teams winning nearly 50% of the games. That's the highest percentage since 2002. And there were a couple of massive upsets. In fact, the Jags pulled off two of the top 10 upsets since 1990. Jacksonville, they beat Buffalo in week nine, nine, six, real barn burner. Pillow there. Fight. there was the 16th. Yeah, it's that's a that's probably the better way of describing it. Uh, they then uh, not to mention the nine, six game. They were actually 16 point underdogs in that one. Then they took down the Colts as 14 point underdogs in week 18, ending Indy's chances to the postseason, becoming the first team ever to win two games as a two touchdown or more underdog. And then that one, of course, set into play, Mike. Such oh, a yeah, fascinating yeah. week 18, right? The Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger back into the playoffs. Everybody in the country is staying up late to watch the Raiders and the Chargers and see if that game's going to end in a tie or what. I mean, really, at the end of the day, the Except Jags, Mike Tomlin, yeah. who told you he was sleeping. <laughs> Claimed he was sleeping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whatever, I and I've what got a bridge thinking. I can sell you, too. <laughs> Adina, I know what you're thinking here. The biggest upsets since the records began in 1978. Well, three teams have won games as 17.5-point underdogs. The winless at the time Jets took down the Rams 23-20 in Week 15 of the 2020 season. I remember that game. A year earlier in 2019, remember the Dolphins? They beat the Patriots in Week 17 by a 27-24 count. Pats actually beat Miami 43 to nothing earlier that season. And then the Colts beat the Patriots as 17 and a half point dogs in 1978. That final was 34-27. So all three winning teams on the road. So we shouldn't feel too bad for the Patriots because they actually hold the record for the most games in a row as a favorite. How about 62 times from week four of 2016 all the way to week one? of 2020. So basically four years, the Patriots went into a game as a favorite in that span, 48 and 14. I mean, that's remarkable. And it does explain why Tom Brady's got all those rings. Kurt Warner's Rams team, right? The greatest show on turf. They must have been favorites yeah. a bunch too, right? I'm glad you asked, Aditi. Faves 50 straight games for a three-year span. Week four, 1999 through week four of 2002. They were 35 and 15 in those games. And then the next three that are on the list, you got the Niners, a 35-game span from 93 to 95. And then another 35-game span from 84 to 86. And not to mention a 33-game span from 96 to 98. So, and just in case you're wondering about active streaks and what's happening there, the Bucks have an active streak of 21 games as a favorite, but you would imagine with a new quarterback and that goat guy kind of on the sidelines being a spectator, I would imagine that some of those numbers actually change. What about the flip? Who spent the most consecutive games as the underdog? This year's Super Bowl champs, actually. The Rams oh. topped the list, the most consecutive games as an underdog, 43 games from week 14 of 2007 to week 7 of 2010 as the underdog. 
which is kind of, oh, I guess maybe I shouldn't be all that surprised. Just kind of flashing back to some of those games from back in the day and just also knowing some of the success that the Rams have had, generally speaking, and you made reference to sort of that era with the greatest show on turf with Kurt Warner and company. But if you're wondering, hey, what about the Browns? And the Lions, yeah. yeah. Those teams, they've they've struggled, right? Oh, Mike, those poor Lions and Browns, not exactly the most glorious pieces of their history. But you know what? They are two of the oldest NFL franchises. And so you would expect some roller coasters. And you would also expect that they've played with quite a few iterations of the football. If you look at the old videos of the NFL, the football itself has evolved really quite a bit, right? Like the first college football game in 1869, which actually was played in our great state of New Jersey, was a round rubber ball. But the first footballs were actually made from an inflated pig's bladder. (laughs) They were rounder, so they were more difficult to throw. It was almost like trying to throw an inflated balloon. And here's something really gross. The players inflated them with their mouth. Yeah. And then a leather cover was placed on top and stitched together. And here's another little known fact. At the time, soccer balls were also made of pig bladders. So the ball got narrower once the forward pass was officially added to the game in 1906, because as we just said, it's kind of hard to throw that inflated balloon. And as the ball gets a little bit narrower, it's a little bit aerodynamic. But I will say this, the ball shape wasn't actually standardized, Mike, until 1930, when the National Football League officially came into existence. So through the years, the specifications have continued to evolve. In 1934, there was a rule to taper the ends and reduce the total circumference of the middle of the ball. Maybe if it had been reduced even more, Kenny Pickett's hand size wouldn't be such a hot topic of conversation right now. (laughs) And the ball has been made exclusively by Wilson since 1941. Wilson remains the official supplier of the NFL's footballs today. According to the official rule book, today's ball must be made of urethane bladder enclosed in a pebble-grained leather case of a natural tan color without corrugations of any kind. And it also must be filled with between 12.5 and 13.5 pounds of air. Don't ask Tom Brady or the New England Patriots about that specification. Each team's equipment crew, Mike, spends a significant amount of time prepping footballs for game day. A brand new ball out of the box is very, very rigid. So the equipment team goes to work using things like brushes and oils to soften them. I can tell you this, that Tom Brady and Brian Hoyer after him and quite a few quarterbacks have liked using Mississippi mud which is something that baseball players use on baseballs. Anyway, the end result is working the football makes it softer, tackier, and a more throwable ball. As for game day, the referee is the sole judge as to whether all balls are fully compliant with the necessary specifications. All the balls are under the referee's supervision until they're delivered to the ball attendant just before kickoff. And each team is required to have exactly 12 balls available for testing by the referee, no less than two and a half hours before kickoff. Each game, six footballs shipped by a manufacturer are sealed in a special box and opened in the official's locker room two hours and 15 minutes before kickoff. Those are the six footballs that are used exclusively for the kicking game. Okay, Didi, hold on one second, because I want to tweet you at a kick of Walla, at Mike underscore Yam, by the way, for our next episode. Mailbag episode, since you're giving me the answer on the good old pigskin, so to speak, I would love to know how many times 
the balls that are getting tested get thrown out and are ruled not game ready? Ooh, that's a good question for our next one. Like, I would imagine there's so much hype around it. So um, I'll just hit send on this tweet. Okay, we're good. So just uh, I'll bookmark that tweet for. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower, 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day. And smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers... Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On-demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Welcome back to NFL Explained. Mike Am and Aditi Kinkawala with you. We're having a blast going through your questions on our mailbag episode. Got some good ones still left to fire off some answers. And Aditi, you made reference to it, the kicking game, actually a huge part of the postseason. I know you were loving up uh, Gabby, who was in Venice, who was listening to the show. She loved the Justin Tucker episode. And it got us also thinking about some other questions that people were were uh, focused in on, the rules of overtime. And the rules, of course, have been sort of a huge talking point. I think about, you know, sending that ball through the uprights is certainly the thing that I think about most. So a little bit of the evolution of overtime since it began. 1941, sudden death overtimes instituted for playoff games. Fast forward to 1958, the first NFL playoff game decided by overtime was actually the Colts and the Giants in the NFL championship game, now known as the greatest game ever played. Uh, In 1974, the NFL officially adopted sudden death overtime to minimize ties because who likes a tie? We like things to be nice and tidy and definitive. From 1920 to 1973, there were 256 ties. That sounds excruciating. I covered a tie this year. The Lions at the Steelers when Mason Rudolph, the presumptive new starting quarterback for the Steelers, was quarterbacking. Yeah, no one wanted to win that game from what I remember. No, no one did. 
yeah, there was a lot of a lot of issues in that one. Uh, 2010, uh, NFL actually changed the overtime rules for a playoff game. Field goal on the first drive of overtime no longer being enough for a team to win. 2012, playoff overtime rules expanded to regular season and preseason games. 2017, overtime shortened from 15 to 10 minutes. A lot of that player safety. And then in 2021, the elimination of overtime for preseason games. OT in the conversation, that is like the biggest thing in talk radio. I feel like whenever we get there and certainly because of what we saw in the postseason, Aditi, that makes a whole lot of sense. Well, for sure. And those current OT scoring rules... The idea that there's not sudden death unless the team gets the ball first, scores a touchdown, were implemented in 2010 for the playoffs, 2012 for the regular season. What will be interesting this year, Mike, after that Chiefs-Bills overtime thriller in the divisional round is if there is a change to the overtime rules for the playoffs so that they match up in some way with the regular season. Yeah, I think that might be a little bit of a tall task here. But the point is, the NFL does have a history of making adjustments. So, you know, just based off of the fact that there's so much media attention around it, there's no doubt that those conversations will continue to unfold. Well, you're right, Mike, that it may be a bit of an uphill battle. But right now, there's actually two proposals to the competition committee to amend the overtime rules. And they come from the Colts and the Bills, both of whom lost overtime games this past season after not possessing the ball. So the Bills, of course, as we just referenced, would like to see an extra period played out with no sudden death in the playoffs. So essentially just put a certain amount of time on the clock and play until it expires. The Colts proposal is just that both teams have an opportunity to possess the ball. So the way that these rules work, Mike, you're right, is that three quarters of the team need to sign off. That's 24 out of 32. I don't know. What do you think? Would you vote yes to change or no? I'm a yes to change guy, but I'm also, I have the luxury of being able to either be on a set or on my couch watching the games and not actually (laughs) the physical demands and, and what is actually, you know, like you start doing this during the regular season and you get these scenarios, like this could be kind of a funky situation in the postseason. I do think the rules need to be potentially adjusted in, in those circumstances. I could have done another 15 minutes of the Bills Chiefs game. Couldn't you have? I'm going to do that every night. I mean, are you kidding me? That, was, that, that thing was awesome. <laughs> Couldn't get enough of that drama. That's like real, real life drama in that situation. So I'm, I'm with you there. And Aditi, that leads us to our final question, which actually came in this morning. Uh, we always love getting them on social media, at Mike underscore Yam, at Akin Kabwala. And it's kind of timely. Uh, franchise tags in full force. And well, Aditi, you got the tweet, so I'll let you kind of handle that. Well, for sure. It was Alex. Alex in Winterland says he would love to hear an explanation of what a franchise tag is on our podcast. So, okay, franchise tags are essentially a one-year contract, but it comes in two different forms. There's the exclusive franchise tag and there's the non-exclusive. An exclusive tag means that the player can only negotiate with the tagging team and that the tagging team has to pay out an average of the top five salaries at that player's position in the current year. So those numbers, Mike, are kind of outrageous. Like the Bengals just franchise tag 25-year-old safety Jesse Bates. The franchise tag this year for a safety is $13,544,000. As I'm sure you can guess, a quarterback's franchise tag is $28,598,000. 
a kicker's franchise tag, the average of the top five salaries at his position, $5,469,000. Now, in some cases, Hmm. it really financially works out. Like a tight end, the franchise tag for a tight end right now is $10,834,000, right? Which is why we've seen quite a few tight ends franchise tagged in this past week or so. But now let's go back to the non-exclusive tag. So what happens there is that a team pays out an average of the top five tag amounts at the player's position from the previous five years, and players who receive this tag can negotiate with other teams, but the tagging team has the right to match any offer. So if I give you a non-exclusive tag, Mike, you can go ahead and negotiate with Rhett Lewis and Erica Tamposi and Andrea Kramer to join their podcast, but I will have the right to go ahead and match whatever Rhett Lewis offers you, which by the You're way, not me he's walk, not right? offering you as much as I could possibly. <laughs> I'm not Man. going to let you go by any means. Now, where it gets really interesting is when a team places multiple franchise tags on a player. So you can tag a player one year. And if you're unable, usually I'll say this, in my experience, most teams tag a player with the intent to try to negotiate a longer term deal. And it just buys more time that they have that exclusive, let's call it a negotiating window, simply because the player is tied to the team, the team is tied to the player, and everybody's motivated to get something long term done. And you have more time to make that happen. If it doesn't work and you can't negotiate a long-term deal, well, then a team could franchise tag a player for a second time. But this time, the player gets a 120% increase off of whatever was his franchise tag salary. So that's a lot of money. And there's a lot of incentive there for a team to try to get a deal done. And a few years ago, this entire system was kind of thrown on its head when Le'Veon Bell, the Steelers running back, decided not to play under a second tag. And I spent a lot of time on Le'Veon Bell watch. It's always interesting as a reporter when you start covering these stories and the amount of hours invested in something like that that just sort of drags on. It's it's kind of crazy. And I think there's people, you know, in Green Bay probably thinking the same thing. It's like, you know, back-to-back years and now it obviously gets solidified with Aaron Rodgers getting that four-year extension for $200 million. But when you're on Rodgers Watch or Bell Watch, it just it, it's something that you just don't forget franchise tags. Here we go. Well, and it, for sure. And for me, it's I remember explaining that to my son at the time. I think he was three years old because I had to be at the Steelers facility the week before the season. I had to be at the Steelers facility all day long, every single day as we were on Le'Veon Bell watch. And my son just didn't understand like, why? every day, all day, and why are you missing my first day of school and this, that, or the other? And the way that I explained to him, remember, because he was three years old, was the quarterback and the wide receiver and the offensive line, they're waiting for their friend to see if their friend will come and play with them. And he never really understood why the friend never came to be with his quarterback. Oh, man. Yeah, I love that analogy. Um, it, very digestible. But that that might be the best way to to explain. Oh, I have plenty more. Wait tag. until I tell you how I taught him what the quarterback does. And then all of a sudden he saw Marcus Mariota hold the ball and he said, what? <laughs> That's a story for another time. In any oh, case. Oh, Marcus. Oh, this one's been Marcus. really fun. Everybody, thank yeah. you so much for sending us your questions. We love when you download and you listen and you interact and you review and you rate. And especially when you send us messages and you tell us what you want to hear about. 
And Mike is nodding his head because he apparently, I, after this many podcast episodes, thinks that a nah <laughs> is heard. Oh, I thought you were just take. I thought you were closing it out because I agree with everything that you're saying. I honestly, it is. It's one of the coolest things for me, and I know you probably feel the same way when we hear from some of the listeners and they're learning about the sport that you and I obviously cover and we both love. It's just, it's really cool. It's, it's like you're exposing someone to something that you know that they haven't experienced before. So we absolutely love it. And if you're sharing it with your friends on social, it's great. And, and we learn too, right, Mike? Oh, we, yeah. we learn things as well as we do this. So everybody, thank you. That's a wrap this time. That was all sorts of grab bag questions. Explain. <laughs>